You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Again today, uh, my guest today, uh, Vass, uh, you're with me, right? Yes, sir, I am. Good morning. Good, good. Uh, I'm not going to try to pronounce your name because Southern tongues don't pronounce names well that aren't, aren't Southern names. So I'm going to let you tell people your last name. Well, my uh, full name is Vasilios Kalajir, and I guess uh, I was smart enough when I first uh, uh, came to the country to um, abbreviate it to VAS, so it's a little easier <laughs> for everybody. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's for sure. Well, thanks for joining me today. It was great meeting you uh, a few weeks ago when we were out at the Oklahoma conference, and uh, after our conversation, I was uh, excited about having you come on the show with me, so thanks for doing that. We really Oh, thanks for inviting me. As, as I was reading the materials that you and I were sharing back and forth and looking at the things that you've done during your life, and uh, I'm not going to ask you how old you are, but suffice it to say you're probably at least young enough to be my son or maybe even a grandson at this point. I don't know. <laughs> but, but for all the things that you've, you've been able to do in your life, and, and it, it just struck me that how many surveyors there are probably worldwide, but certainly here in the U.S., who uh, haven't spent an awful lot of time very far from home. Um, You know, a lot of us grow up in a particular area, and I've got friends back in my hometown who grew up with me and are surveyors there now and never lived anywhere else, never, and I'm sure they've traveled a bit, but certainly not on the scale that that we're talking about the things that you've done. So it's it's quite impressive, really, to, uh, to think about everything that you've been involved in through your life. And um, so maybe a good way to start is just to tell uh, people a little bit about your upbringing and how how you, um, I guess when you said in the early 90s uh, you were working in your family-owned business and then not long after that you came this over in this direction. Uh, so maybe tell everybody a little bit about your background. Yeah, well, thanks for your kind words. Um, well, uh, to begin with, I'm... In my uh, early 40s, I just turned 41, actually, uh, a few weeks ago. Um, Started, uh, like you said, in the early 90s. A lot of people who enter the surveying world, uh, they usually come from different directions that I have seen. Uh, For me, I don't think I had that choice since uh, my mother was a surveyor, and uh, I came from a family of two generations of uh, engineers or architects and and surveyors. So... um, uh, luckily, I enjoyed what she did. Uh, so from the very early times that uh, I remember myself working with her in, in the early 90s, I was helping her with her family business, which she still runs, uh, my mom and my brother right now. And then after that, uh, I decided to go to school. I thought it was uh, a good place for me to get my education, and uh, I, uh, I studied at the Aristotle University of Thessaloniki in Greece, um, I got my five-year degree from there, and then um, I want to explore a little bit more beyond that. So um, in 2001, I, I moved to England for a couple of years where I did my master's in uh, GIS at uh, the University of Nottingham. And then uh, after that, I had to make a choice, uh, either stay there or go back to Greece and run the business. The U.S. was not still in my mind at the time, and um um, I went back to Greece to serve the mandatory military service, so I was an artillery surveyor for uh, for about a year there. Then uh, in 2004, during the Olympic 
uh, Olympic years in uh, in Greece. It was the Olympic Olympic Games at the time. Um, after I, I got released from the from the from the army or from the artillery, uh, I moved to the U.S. Um, uh, stayed here, and um, I've been here ever since. And working for the same employer, Half Associates, since since uh, since I remember myself being here. Yeah, just thinking about and one of the things I've had the opportunity to do over the last several years is be involved with the FIG, the International Surveyors Group, and I've got to meet a lot of people from a lot of different places around the world. And I'm always intrigued when I talk to people about survey practice and in making comparisons and contrasts to the way we do things here. And, uh, and of course, as you know, being licensed in as, in as many states as you're in, uh, there are commonalities the way we do things here in the U.S., but they're not always exactly the same. You know, we, as you, I'm sure, witnessed in in the variety of states where where you've worked. Um, you know, some public land states, some not public land states, and um, just this whole process that we go through as surveyors in, in the U.S. and we know how it's done where we are, but might not be applicable somewhere else within the country. So I was curious, um, and, and obviously Greece is a smaller country than the U.S. is, but I, I'm curious about the uh, practice methods, if there's lots of different ways people do things or if there's some um, you know, internal framework or procedure that's pretty much followed by everybody. Yeah, so, um, I mean, on, on the practical side of, of, of how we do the work with the survey instruments we use or the technology that we have today, uh, the practice part is, is, is the same, right? So, or the technical part, I was to say. Um, people run traverses. I don't know how many run traverses these days anyway with GPS, but uh, they still use total stations, robotic total stations, the drones are in still in the strong in the um, in the industry over there too, uh, LiDAR scanners, uh, just like we use here. So that technical part is the same. Uh, the <clears throat> where, where it differs is, uh, from what I've seen in Greece, is uh, so the surveyors in a lot of places of Europe, including Greece, is, uh, are considered engineers as well. So um, civil engineers, architects, and surveyors, they all fall under a big engineering group. It's very different in that regard than, than, than what we experience here, although most boards are, of course, combined uh, in most states. Um, and then as far as the, um, the perception, um, the, so in Greece uh, there's no common law. Uh, it's the statutory law uh, that, that is applied. So it's very, very important for someone who's a surveyor there to understand the law and follow the law because the law changes every year. Um, I know from from my experience there that uh, it's very common for a surveyor to appear in court and uh, defend his client's um, uh, position as to where the boundary limits are. Um, the situation in Greece is very unique because um, a lot of the um, deeds or titles uh, refer back to uh, the ancient ages of uh, when uh, Greece was under the Ottoman Empire for, for a little bit, and then uh, it goes after the revolution in 1821. Um, uh, a lot of the properties uh, during the, that revolutionary period uh, actually were retained by the, the Greek Orthodox Church. So there's, there's a lot of um, ambiguity, if you like, uh, which obviously the courts have a lot of power in that regard, just like here. 
but uh, given the fact that the, the law is statutory, like I said, it's uh, you have to you have to follow every year. Here in the U.S., uh, well, in Texas in particular, obviously, uh, there's still some statutory law that pertains from uh, the early ages of uh, the Spanish-Mexican period and uh, a little bit of the Republic, but then um, it's, we, we use common law for, for, for a big part of it. Um, so um, in that regard, I see the, the surveyors here not, not being as involved in the sense of having to go to court as often as they do over there. <laughs> Uh, but I think part of it is because there's not as many ambiguities either. Um, or maybe it's because uh, Greeks like to argue more. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps so. I don't know. And you were talking about the records. I'm curious about that because, um, you know, we have a lot of uh, older deeds here. You know, we don't, I don't go back that far. But um, like in Virginia where my primary practice always was, uh, you know, I'd be researching deeds from, uh, you know, 100 or so years back or whatever. But... I can't even imagine if uh, if the records you're talking about over there going back centuries. I, do they ever come into play in your research, or is, is is there some limitation on how far back you have to go? Uh, there's no limitations to how far you can go. If you the most ancient document you can prove, it's le- uh, proving that it's legitimate. I mean, it's it's as far as you can go. Uh, the issue there is. Uh, uh, the resources, uh, being able to find the information um, as uh, as easy as it say as we're accustomed to over here in the United States. Uh, of course, some some counties here in the U.S. are more challenging than others, depending on how well they retain their records. But uh, based on my experience, it's uh, it's far easier than any type of research I had to do over there. Um, so uh, part of it is because. Um, uh, the what what you, we would call the appraisal districts are not as organized. Um, there's hardly any index that you can go by. Uh, I still remember when I first started here and I was preparing one of my first surveys as a, as a survey technician at the time for the RPLS I was working under back in 05. Uh, he asked me to put like a little uh, um, put, put some research together for I think an ALDA survey we were preparing at the time and um, kind of. I was being trained at the time as to where to find records, and somebody showed me the appraisal district and how quickly I could pull the deeds uh, uh, online. I thought it was like uh, I was in a different sphere. I mean, I thought it was like light heads, light, light ages ahead um, compared to what I was, I was used to. I mean, over there you have to, I mean, you may end up spending months trying to find the right record uh, if, you, uh, if you don't know where to look at it. So, uh, a lot of times, uh, landowners have deeds that they never file. If they get filed for records, sometimes they get lost because it's very unorganized. Now, overall, I have to say, before I start bashing the the way the system is over there, uh, I should probably say that they have been trying to improve things over the last 20 years by setting up a, a cadastral uh, system that uh, where where landowners will actually submit their deeds and. Uh, the information like we, we do here in the United States since the early 20s, I think, or early 1900s, um, which, which is good. It's uh, definitely a, uh, something that should have been done many years ago, but uh, it's finally happening. So the surveyor's uh, role over there is m- far more of an investigator in that regard, if you like. Yeah, that's a, that's a good term, investigator. Uh, I often use detective, puzzle worker, mind reader when I try to describe surveyors. So that, that's kind of the same uh, the same type of deal um, for sure. 
And so, so thanks for sharing that with us about the, the system just because, you know, it's interesting. Even from state to state, as you pointed out, here things are different, obviously, and I'm always intrigued, uh, as, as, as I said earlier, getting more involved in FIG as I have over the years. I've gotten to meet people from all over the world, and I'm always intrigued to hear about differences and similarities. And um, I don't know, it's, it's sort of a, I'm not sure what the right term to use here is. It's not uh, something you're scared of necessarily, but it's, it's, it's one of those things that you think about with everything we have now about global location and how people are able to define things and the systems we use um, makes you wonder where all of this is going to end up over time. You know, we, we in the rural part of Virginia where I grew up, and I, a lot of records were a lot older, of course, uh, but not, like I said, not nearly as old as what you're talking about, but still piecing all of that stuff together was important. So, well, you got an interesting story to tell about your, your mom when you're getting into career, and we're at the end of our first break, or our first segment. So let's go to break, and we'll talk about that when we come back. Quick Stakes is your answer to staking. Lightweight, easy to ride on, easy to use, easy to find, and won't break your back carrying them like the old-fashioned wooden stakes. Have you tried a sample? If not, get a pen and paper and write down this number, 800-438-0387, or go to quickstake.com. That's Q-U-I-K-S-T-A-K-E.com, and order your samples. Ask your surveying supply dealer for quickstakes today. Whether cruising the strip at a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. Quick Stakes. Does your survey supply dealer have Quick Stakes? If not, demand that they start carrying Quick Stakes. Did you know that Quick Stakes are better for your back than your local chiropractor? Lightweight and easier to use than the old heavy wooden stake. Order a sample today and prove it to yourself. Quick Stakes, your back-friendly stake. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And I'm going to take a minute of uh, Kurt's time to remind everyone that uh, you can follow us on Facebook. You can follow us on YouTube. And uh, we have gotten so many, well, new shows, and uh, our audience wants to see the host. So we're providing that on YouTube. Just go to our America's Web Radio and look up... Uh, our shows, and uh, as quick as we can get them posted, we'll post them on YouTube, and you can watch live on on YouTube as well as on uh, Facebook Live for many of our shows. And speaking of many of our shows, we're adding a new show tomorrow. It's going to be a gun show. Then I can't give you the name of it yet because we don't have one. But we will have one tomorrow, and uh, I think it's going to be at uh, gun show will start at three o'clock, I believe. But 
Anyway, tune in tomorrow, and you'll be getting information on it. And with that being said, I'm going to turn the show back over to Kurt. And, oh, one other thing. Don't forget to check out the Tornado Body Dryer. That is fantastic. Talk to you uh, at another time. Kurt, it's all yours. Thanks, David, and welcome back, everybody. Uh, offline, David and I were talking about the gun shows, and I was... He's he's talking about a different kind of gun show than I was talking about. Mine's in my hometown, been going on for fifty years, where they actually sell guns. <laughs> uh, that that may sound well. Probably being in Texas, Vast, that probably doesn't sound too odd to you. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> but they they started this uh, our old VFW Veterans of Foreign War Building collapse my senior year in high school, and they started a gun show the next year and been going strong ever since and so in my hometown of a couple of thousand people they draw about a half a million for labor day weekend <laughs> so uh it, it gets pretty interesting over there but before we went to break we were talking about the the beginnings of of your career and and your family being in uh, in surveying and you had mentioned this to me uh previously when we were talking and then in our notes we were sharing back and forth you had a uh, an interesting story to tell uh, about you pursuing your education in surveying and your mom's career. Yeah. Um, so just, just talk a little bit about my mom. It's funny because my mom was actually going after, uh, was going was to become an architect. And in the process of going to, preparing herself to become an architect, she fell in love with surveying. And that's how she started her business in the early 70s. Uh, I was I was born a few years after she started the business and started working with her. Well, an interesting, funny story is that uh, Back uh, when one of the very one of the very first jobs we started working at, uh, of course, out in the field, uh, which is something actually we I, I didn't mention earlier, which I find also very different in uh, different between what the way surveying operates here in the United States and and Greece is that uh, usually the surveyors are is far more involved in the field than I see a lot of surveyors being involved here in the field with the field crews. And I think that has to do with the type of economy and the type of uh, industry uh, that uh, both countries operate, obviously the U.S. being a far bigger market than any other. So <clears throat> I remember we were working, uh, it was summertime uh, back in the early 90s, and I would say it was probably like 100-degree weather. We were working by the coast, and I was running a gun with here, um, uh, or I should say a total station for those who don't, don't want to relate it to the gun show that you mentioned earlier. Um, so, ter- running traverses, and I remember it was uh, an older lady uh, with her grandson, I suppose, at the time. And as she was passing by, I mean, she would see us like sweating and probably being stinky and working working for hours under the sun. And she turned over to her grandson and said, "Hey, uh, you better get your education one of these days because you don't want to turn out like those two guys there." And pointed <laughs> over to us. And I kind of looked at myself, looked at my mom, and I said, okay, what, what are we doing wrong here? Is, is it because we're not presenting ourselves right, or what is it? Uh, but obviously the perception of surveyors over years, even over there, has changed, right? But uh, it was just uh, kind of uh, striking to me in the beginning of my uh, early career before I even got my education as to whether I was making the right choice or not. <laughs> yeah, it's really interesting to, that you mentioned that because – Historically, um, you know, and some of our presidents, of course, were surveyors, and and you read a lot about. Uh, uh, I think surveyors were pretty well respected, um, and even here. And then 
I don't really know what caused changes. Um, maybe maybe it's because when the emphasis became stronger in a professional sense and, and getting into the type of work you're going to do, um, the, the whole concept of, of college education was becoming more uh, important. And for the longest time, even today in some states, there's no college degree required to be, become a professional licensed surveyor in, in some states. And so maybe the fact that just just what you just said, we were out there in the field, and I was exactly the same way. You know, even after uh, I was licensed a long, long, well, even right up till I started coming here, sometimes I would still be in the field. Um, and so uh, maybe, and other professions, architects, engineers, weren't seen in the field so much, at least not directly by the public, you know, because we're working right in people's backyards or on their property or whatever. So may, maybe that contributed to that perception that, that it wasn't uh, a great career to get into because you had to be outside and you had to do this work in the hot sun and all those kind of things. But that that is a shame that that turned out to be the case, that people felt that way because it's so much more than that, as you know. And, and the real challenge uh, or one of the big challenges is you go gather all that data, then what do you do with it after you find it <laughs> and, you know, and, and solve that puzzle as we were talking about before. But that is interesting and, and uh, the – the situation you were in, not necessarily an uncommon one where uh, people might have that con- perception. Uh, I'm not sure they might actually come up to you and say, hey, you don't want to be like those people, but, but maybe they were thinking the same way. I don't know. Well, in our profession, it's extremely unique in the sense that it's uh, it's a hybrid of a blue-collar, white-collar type of profession, right? So when we go out in the field, uh, we don't care how hot or how cold it is, we're going to get things done, right? So... Uh, we're going to get dirty, we're going to dig, we're going to have cut lines, we're going to do what, what it takes to uh, do our professional, um, um, take the professional steps that are required to complete the job. And then when we come into the office, we need to have the technical knowledge on how to process the data, check the data, uh, but also communicate with other professionals or clients or lawyers or wh- whoever it is that uh, requires our professional opinion. So it's a it's a very unique uh, situation than uh, some other professional uh, professionals within our uh, industry, like engineers, for example, who are more white collar rather than blue collar. I mean, we have to basically play a dual role a lot of times in our jobs. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And 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 as far as the company's concerned, half where you work now, um, yes, sir. are they? All across the board in in surveying activity, or do they stick in one particular sector of surveying, or or what? what how does the company operate? Well, we're we're extremely diversified, and the company has changed a lot since since, since I started here. I mean, changed in, the, in a good sense, uh, like has grown quite a bit. I mean, I, when I joined the company, we were almost about three hundred employees. Right now, we're running up to nine hundred, and surveying is a big, huge sector of, of what uh, what this company. Um, does uh, we, we we employ almost 110 surveyors, uh, and uh, we 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 try to be as diversified as possible, and, and really that's the key uh, to what we do. I mean, we we will do title surveys, all the surveys. Uh, we we are heavily involved with uh, DOTs, uh, primarily TxDOT. Uh, we'll do a lot of oil and gas work, pipeline or uh, permit lots for the Railroad Commission, but also other states. And um, that's really what uh, I've enjoyed here while I've been here, that uh, I have never been bored doing the same thing. And uh, and life is all about learning, right? So 
that's what really stimulates our brains and uh, creates new challenges out there. So, um, and uh, luckily the company that I work for is extremely supportive of our serving operations. They understand the value that we bring to the company, and um, uh, uh, I'm really I'm really enjoying it here. And so, with with that many people, you obviously have offices in a number of locations. And are you like a lot of companies where whatever your particular expertise might be, you will go from location to location to provide that, or not just you, but people in the company might travel to some other location where you have another office that needs assistance in doing a particular type of project or, or that kind of thing. In bigger companies, that seems to be pretty commonplace. I assume you guys do the same thing. Right, and uh, and I think the key to our operations is that uh, we're trying to be as uh, get everybody involved. So um, uh, even what you would call branch offices, although they're bigger than typical branch offices, some of the survey operations that we have in different places like uh, Midland, Fort Worth, uh, McAllen, uh, Austin, Houston, and then some other states like Oklahoma City or North Little Rock, <coughs> they are... Uh, we, we get them involved on a, on a weekly basis, so they're, they're not feeling like isolated islands. Uh, we, we do a lot of work sharing with uh, with different groups, so depending on our capacity, we make sure that uh, if the survey tech work has to happen somewhere else or the RPLS to have to help, that has to help on a job has to come from somewhere else, there's a lot of interaction where everybody kind of knows who we're talking to, what we're doing, and everybody getting them involved, right, so they can have ownership to, to what we do. Um, it, it's a little challenging at times because, obviously, the more people you have, um, the more, um, I'd say, time-consuming it is. Uh, but, you know, it's all for the better good so that everybody gets involved and everybody stays busy and makes sure that nobody's bored <laughs> doing nothing, right? Right, so. and and that's a, that's a good philosophy too. And because I know I've worked in companies that had multiple offices, and sometimes that synergy back and forth among the offices is not as good as you'd like for it to be. Um, right. So if you if you build a culture where that is the the way it is, rather than each entity kind of looking at itself as as independent more or less, but you have that synergy among everybody in the company. I think it does it does makes everything stronger. It makes the company stronger. It makes the people stronger makes people uh, more interested in uh, in staying with the business and obviously provides opportunities for a lot more people to become, I don't know how the company's set up, if it's, it's if a stockholder kind of thing or not, but but regardless, it gives people a, a, an actual stake in it, so to speak. You know, they feel invested. And yeah, and, and the, the company, like you said, it's, it's based on stockholders, but everybody is a... It's a stockholder owner in a way because through the ESOP program that the, that the company has, and uh, so every, everybody gets involved uh, in, in that regard. But uh, the the other part I wanted to say is that <clears throat> you know we, we've had difficulties like every every other uh, serving company or professional company out there that offers serving or engineering services, trying to find the right professionals, right, to to fill the right spots. And it's an extremely competitive market, right, which is good for everybody, but also shows uh, how we like enough professionals in our industry. And one of the things that um, we personally pride for is that we try to grow within because uh, you can only find so many people from outside, from different places that they may not be happy from, um, but to come and join us. But at the same time, you have to create, like you said, opportunities within for, for people to grow within their career. So 
we have many examples of people who started uh, green on the field with no idea in surveying, and now they're RPLSs. Um, and uh, there's a cycle to that. Um, you know, uh, it takes the right people to train people, but also it takes time, and um, that's 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 one of the things that uh, we've learned to to do: be patient. <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, we're at our second break, believe it or not. So I want to pick up on this when we come back because I'm interested in that. So let's uh, let's go to break. We'll be back in a couple minutes. Quick stakes. Does your survey supply dealer have quick stakes? If not, demand that they start carrying quick stakes. Did you know that quick stakes are better for your back than your local chiropractor? Lightweight and easier to use than the old heavy wooden stake. Order a sample today and prove it to yourself. Quick Stakes, your back-friendly stake. This is Daryl Pullis inviting you to listen to America's Homegrown Veggie Show right here every Saturday morning at 10 Eastern Time. Great guests, great tips, and valuable information about growing your own vegetables, fruits, and herbs. And again, I want to remind everybody, you're listening to America's Web Radio, the NSPS Hour with Kurt Sumner and his guests. And I want to remind folks that you can tune in to iTunes, or iTunes as a matter of fact, but also YouTube and pick up uh, the show and listen to it. Or you can go to our website and download it. Or you can go to... Uh, Facebook. So we've just got all sorts of choices for you where you can hear an archive of today's show. And uh, we want to invite everybody uh, to do that to please hit the like button. That means a lot to us and it will help us in the future to be able to continue bringing you programming like we do. And you might want to check out some of our other programming besides uh, Kurt Sumner's excellent, and he paid me to say that, excellent show. the surveying hour. So, anyway, uh, check that out and check out Tornado Body Dryer. I think you'll have more fun with that than a barrel of monkeys, and uh, it's a great piece of equipment. So, check it out, and we'll be right back with the NSPS Hour after this. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And welcome back, everyone. Uh, to the show today, we're having a great conversation about our surveying profession and things we we like to do. And we talked about the the ESOP a little bit and the diversification diversification of the companies. And you're so right about finding the right people. Um, I've I've worked in relatively large companies, not anywhere near what you guys are talking about. But um, boy, it's it's getting tougher and tougher. And and I assume that that challenge is one of the reasons that you've gotten so involved in the whole concept of uh, being an instructor and, and doing recruiting and trying to find people early on going to the high schools and all of us as a profession, we're trying to do a better job of that. Um, so I, I'm interested in, in the kind of the philosophy that you guys follow in, in, uh, in all of that, going in and doing uh, – Providing information about what the what the what a career they can have in serving even in the high schools, but even further than that, just the whole uh, lot of things you're doing and going and doing some work at colleges as well. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's, like I said uh, earlier, it's, it's really hard to find people that um, fit the right role. But let, let, let's start from the from the upper end, and we're, we're going to go down to uh, to the high school. So um, something that we've noticed over the last 
several years, and I'm sure it's probably been happening a lot longer than that, which is more uh, apparent to us now than it was before, is that uh, it's really hard to find enough uh, registered professional land surveyors uh, licensed in the different states where, where we operate. And um, so the, the work does not um, decrease with time. It increases. The market grows. Uh, the needs from different clients increase. Uh, our clients grow. Um, so how, how do we support all that? that? That has been the biggest challenge. And one of the things that we have found through time is that you can only hire so many RPLS. You can only find so many licensed surveyor, surveyors. Uh, but there's also a good group of people, not too many, but certain individuals that have good management skills, that have been in the surveying industry for many years, uh, but they never had the desire to get their education. Uh, and that has been prohibiting them from uh, getting their license. Uh, I think there is a role for those type of people. And that role is where um, they can still manage projects. Uh, they can still be under supervision of an RPLS, but with a lot more freedom to communicate and train other technicians and coordinate with field crews. And that really has been our, our way of uh, being able to grow with our clients because, like I said, you, you can only find so many uh, registered professionals out there. Um, the other part has been a challenge is that uh, there's not enough uh, – uh, serving programs out there, and I, I don't want to get into the politics of why that hasn't happened, but um, one, one of the things that was extremely apparent to me when I first came to, to the United States in '05 was that, so for a small country like Greece, for instance, there's like uh, two big uh, serving schools within the universities, serving five-year degree programs, and, and a lot of the countries in Europe do have very good serving programs, and that program that I, I attended had uh, about 100 people every year, uh, which is... Uh, which is crazy for uh, if you think about the number of students that actually join the serving programs here uh, in different parts uh, of the country. Uh, it's a pretty big size number. Um, and w when I first came to the States uh, or, or Texas, uh, it was it was apparent to me that for the type of market that, that Texas has on its own, uh, let alone the rest of the United States, and the... Um, uh, the number, the, the market that exists here, there's only a few serving programs. So actually, one is a GIS program, which is a great one, and over by Corpus Christi. And there's another one at UD Tyler, which uh, has a very uh, uh, has a very good serving program. But other than that, there's only a few um, community colleges that people can actually get uh, um, get serving education or serving uh, classes from. And to me, I think we have an approach as well. Uh, if it were up to me uh, or if it was up to us basically communicating better, I would have liked to see more surveying courses through engineering programs or GIS courses where, where we would attract more people through those bigger groups. Um, because I know I understand from a, from an academic point of view it's all about numbers, and it makes sense that uh, a program gets accepted only if you have the, the, the correct uh, number of people or the minimum number of people that will justify the uh, the financial stability of that, of that educational program. So uh, it, it, it was uh, interesting to see that um, education is not as easy to get in, in surveying as it would be overseas. Um, how do we overcome through that uh, over time? I'm not so sure, but we'll have to do something about it. Uh, we'll have to be willing to work with others and uh, come together with other professionals 
to incorporate surveying within their programs if possible. Um, I mean, I, I can understand. I can see where some lawyers with a probably even law degree programs could probably benefit from some uh, um, legal um, surveying boundary uh, classes that that people could get from uh, that could be online. We probably need to invest a lot more time through online programs, and there are some good surveying online programs uh, in the country, not in Texas currently, but I know of, but uh, in other states. But um, I, I think we need to we, we need to focus a lot more on education. So I've been I've been teaching on um, on at the North Lake College over the last uh, three years, uh, geodetic surveying and mapping and GIS. Uh, and uh, you would think for for as big of a metroplex area as DFW is that you would, we would have a lot of students. That program usually doesn't get more than ten students. Uh, and um, Something I've been discussing with the school lately is that uh, we need to start pushing a lot of the classes that we have uh, in that program uh, online because there's a lot of people who work in uh, the rural areas where they cannot leave their job, they cannot travel for two or three hours every day to attend classes where they can attend them online. And, and I understand surveying is a very practical um, profession where you need to know how to do the field work, uh, but there's a lot of theory that comes behind it that I don't see why um, some of those classes cannot be online and uh, get our get our name and our profession further out there to places or people that don't have the ability to have a school right next to their door. So, yeah, I'm in complete agree with you agreement with you on that, and I've talked about it on the show before. Um, and there, like you said, there are some schools that are really beginning to go toward distance learning more than than in the past, and even to the point of being completely online. Uh, while people are working, and uh, and and that appeals to me, that whole concept where people can actually still work, but get their education um, by by doing it online. And uh, I I don't know what the answer is either, but I agree with you that it it creates a dilemma for us because uh, I think, it, it, in my opinion at least, it seems to me as though because we don't have a big lobby. And because of uh, maybe a misunderstanding of what surveying really is and what its role is, and it's not just mathematics, and it's not just putting data into a <coughs> excuse me into a database. Um, the the whole idea, the whole concept of needing quote the surveyor, uh, I think, is inhibiting us in our recruitment. Uh, and and nobody's going to change that except us, right? <laughs> and, right. And and that's where it really comes down: is are we willing, as a profession, as even as small as we are, to to focus on that and and make it a primary objective? Um, because if we don't, then I'm not sure how much longer we actually exist. And, and, and you know, uh, since serving is a very unique and it's on its own, and the fact that there's not enough serving programs. Out there through schools, I, I, I've seen from our firm and, and a lot of other engineering firms that typically you would see a lot of engineers go to different uh, um, career firms, uh, different schools, and try to attract people for internships. We as surveyors, we don't have that many schools that we can attract people from, and the only way we can, right now, the way things are, that we can um, attract more people uh, and give a purpose to a lot of those kids out there is by going uh, to the high schools in an, in an organized fashion, if we can, um, by talking to them about technology, talking to them about the equipment that we use. I mean, 
if you look at where surveying was 30, 40 years ago, it's nowhere near where it is today or where it might be in the future. So uh, kids are always um, intrigued by uh, technology, computers, uh, to the whole different generation of people that uh, basically get bored from day one from with, with a cell phone on their hands. Uh, I mean, I'm always amazed with uh, my granddaughter, how she's uh, always uh, on the phone and just finding the right buttons out of nowhere. So you're thinking. So I'm sure there will be a lot more capable and a lot more technically savvy uh, when, when they approach our age or or as older as they become. So <clears throat> a lot of those kids in the high schools, I'm saying that they are lost, right? Just like we were, or a lot a lot of the kids uh, high schools were in my age, where they didn't have a purpose. I was fortunate enough, to, of course, to have my mother in the business, who, who actually gave me a great path in my career, but. A lot, a lot of the kids at schools don't have that ability, or they may be they may be from impoverished areas where um, they they don't have those opportunities. There's a lot of potential there, and that potential in surveying is one of those professions that the industry in the, in the United States has changed, right? So if you don't have your education nowadays, you can hardly have a good career. Surveying is still one of those very few professions that gives you the ability to. Um, have a great career, even with no education at first. And you can make it as big as you want to, uh, and whether you want to pursue your education or not, that's optional. It's recommended if you if you like what you do. Uh, but if you don't have the funds or you don't have the uh, ability to, to go to a school, you can still have a great career into it. And that's something that we haven't really invested much time on. And so I've had several discussions here with several professionals in our company, and I know TSPS has been very involved here in the state of Texas with different different programs. Uh, but one of the things that I really want us to start tackling a lot more and starting a pilot program here at the half is where uh, we start talking to different schools, different municipalities, where we can attract uh, attract those kids uh, to come over, not necessarily work for half, but come into the industry. So it's it's, it's all about the... Um, uh, our profession becoming, uh, being able to survive, like I said, it's, uh, it's otherwise going to be a dying profession and somebody else will take it over and we'll have no control over uh, whether it's being done the right way or not. So, uh. and, I, and I think that's why it is so important to have uh, younger people um, and from my perspective, you're one of those younger people. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but y- younger people in our professions embrace that same enthusiasm and and uh, purpose that you're talking about so often we have a really hard time we have schools and we do a lot of co- uh, communication back we do with the school counselors associations and we have we have our trig star program we take into the schools and and we hear from teachers all the time uh, it would really be great if if somebody could come here and spend some time my, my son I've mentioned this on the show before my son's even a, a teacher in a stem program and just getting our people to go there and and spend time with them is is such a challenge and and we're at, at our last break here so let's go do that i want to talk about this more in, in our last segment as well because it's so important but um let's go to break and we'll be back in a couple of minutes for our final segment quick stakes is your answer to staking lightweight easy to ride on easy to use easy to find and won't break your back carrying them like the old-fashioned wooden stakes have you tried a sample if not get a pen and paper and write down this number 
800-438-0387 or go to quickstake.com that's Q-U-I-K-S-T-A-K-E dot com and order your samples ask your surveying supply dealer for quickstakes today whether cruising the strip at a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. Quick Stakes. Does your survey supply dealer have Quick Stakes? If not, demand that they start carrying Quick Stakes. Did you know that Quick Stakes are better for your back than your local chiropractor? lightweight and easier to use than the old heavy wooden steak. Order a sample today and prove it to yourself. Quick Steaks, your back-friendly steak. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. for our last segment today. As we were going to break, we were talking about, um, in a sense, the future of surveying. And it's so, uh, again, with with my experiences and dealing with people through the international groups and, and all that, it just, it maybe I'm just thinking this way because we're wrapped up in the middle of it here. But to me, it almost seems like we're having a more difficult time here attracting people to come into the profession and maybe maybe part of that is because we're not doing a good enough job in presenting it for what it is, what it is. You know, we, maybe we're too limited in how we present what surveying is and what it means to be in a surveying career because it's so multifaceted yet you know our primary background is on the land boundaries and that's really really important no question about that. Um but there's so much more to it and I don't know. I just coming through the the system that you did in, in Greece and and seeing how other maybe other people are doing that. I'm curious about your ideas about that. And I, I'm just so uh, desirous of finding the right key. You know, how do we do this? How do we draw in more people? Well, I mean, we have to focus on where serving is today. And uh, if you look at the instruments that we use, let's start from that, uh, from the technical part, because uh, considering that someone doesn't know anything about surveying, um, we can talk about boundaries, we can talk about laws, we can talk about deeds all day, 
but kids may not necessarily be interested into that unless they are in a history class or they care about history. And some of them may do, and uh, I hope they do, uh, if they're going to pursue serving um, uh, professionally in the future. But the the part that really attracts kids for the most part is technology. So if you, if you ask a lot of the kids in the high school, they will tell you, oh, I want to be a computer scientist or I want to be uh, a gaming uh, designer, 3D, or an, or an architect. I mean, t- typically when kids go after engineering or architectural, it, it's one of those professions that uh, are very highly advertised, very well respected, and have been around for ages. But so has serving, except that um, um, most people don't know about it and don't know what we deal with. It. It's, it's, it's always uh, striking to me whenever I talk to friends or uh, or family about the technology that we use every day, and they're like, well, I didn't know that you guys did that or you did that. And, you know, they don't know that we're using LiDAR scanners now, we're using drones, there's mobility uh, of, of, of the type of uh, LiDAR technology that we use to that, to capture a lot of things. And it has been around for a while, of course, but it's evolving and it's becoming more cost-effective for a lot of firms out there, including ours. Um, there's uh, robotic stations, GPS, uh, the data collectors are far more user-friendly than they used to be 10, 15 years ago. Um, there's a lot of GIS involvement um, and databases to the way we capture data. So <clears throat> there's a lot of room to attract people if they want to be in the field for all their lives in the career or steps where they can start from the field, understand the technology, and then uh, work towards their education or get their SIT or CSP exams and come into the office and and pursue a uh, better career into it. So uh, there's ways to do that. I was uh, stroke the other day and I've been thinking about it for for a while. I actually talked to a couple of folks here in the firm. It's like, well, we need to uh, put some energy here and build like one of those uh, 3D sandboxes. And it's a very simple concept. Uh, It's very easy to build and um, start presenting it to schools and start changing the shape of the sand and uh, uh, where, where it projects uh, the contours and the different types of elevations and start explaining very simple terms of what we do just uh, through an interactive uh, tool like that. So uh, surveying overall is changing, and uh, I know the boundary is always going to be there. The, the need for surveyors for the boundary part is always going to be there. Uh, for professionals to make decisions and uh, express their opinions as to where the boundaries lie. But the way the technology is being used to either capture that information or the topography of the information that relates to design, uh, the methods being used is changing and will keep changing. So that's where we need to use that technology to our advantage to attract more people. Uh, Where before... Uh, it would be hard, it was harder for uh, for us as a profession to attract people uh, with the use of the other lights or change. Nobody wanted to do uh, uh, well. I wouldn't say nobody wanted to do the hard work, but uh, people, kids are more attracted to, to that type of technology instead of uh, relating surveying to what it used to be 20, 30 years ago. Right, and th- and that's a real challenge because that part of it, that so to speak, the old part, is still so critical. Uh, you know, we can't ignore it, but at the same time, we have to explain that it's more. And you mentioned the sandbox, and we've talked about that on the show a few times before, and it's been a great tool for us. We go to, I mentioned earlier, we go to the National School Counselors Group, and some of the states do. And when we started taking the sandbox to the national meeting, our booth became the most popular one in the whole exhibit hall. 
regardless of what they were teaching, <laughs> right? Um, or you know what what they were pre- pushing in their in their uh, school counselors' offices, and and just to hear them say, "Wow, this is so cool! We never thought about promoting this profession in our schools before because nobody bothered to tell us what it was." So you're so right about that, and just convincing our our practitioners that that this is important because it's not something that a few people can can do and do effectively and you can have successes in your particular area perhaps but to change that overall dynamic uh, nationwide requires all of us really to be involved and and that's a big challenge of course so um, I want to make sure we got a well six minutes or so left before the show's over, so I want to make sure I'm not leaving anything out that that you had wanted to to talk about today. Um, so if I am, let me know. And, well, and I'm, we'll I'm, sure I'm always fascinated. I'm always fascinated, Kurt, about where the technology is going. And uh, you know, one of the things we're being asked ourselves, and we try to ask and give answers to others, uh, is uh, where we're serving is going to be in 10, 15, 20 years from now, and how many people are going to be required to work in the field? Um, I, I probably will make a wild prediction here, uh, but I would say if the market keeps growing the way it is, uh, we may end up even with the same amount of people at some point in the field, only because we'll have the technology to capture a lot of the information with far less resources. With, but the, well, where, where I see serving transitioning is where you're going to end up having a lot more people in the office being able to operate all this information and, and process that information. Uh, I mean, we're talking about serving, but who's to tell that uh, in 20, 30 years of now, there might be no, the, when we're setting pins on the ground on iron rods or monuments, there might not be uh, detectors that could be auto-detected from, from drones or satellites or, or planes. And then all we're doing afterwards is uh, sending crews out there or, or a single guy maybe, uh, although probably not proper from a safety point of view, but uh, just just to uh, verify that those corners identified from the drone are, are there. I mean, there's drones and sensors right now that can penetrate, uh, depending on the type of soil, even a few, uh, few inches below the ground. So wh- who knows where surveying is going to be? I mean, we're still going to require surveyors. Uh, surveyors are going to be required professionals to make decisions. Uh, I, I don't see that changing, but uh, I do see it changing. Uh, I do see the the need for different types of um, personnel or equipment that may be used in the future to make those type of decisions. So. Yeah, and you make a great point there because technology is not going to wait for us. It's going to keep growing. It's going to go wherever it will go and can go. And uh, as we've seen in the last couple of decades, it's, it's gone just exponentially to a whole other place we never even imagined. So this concept you're talking about, although it it sounds like wow, could you really do that? Who's to say you can't do it, right? Right. So so being able to uh, to grasp all of that and have people who are prepared to manage it obviously requires that we that we educate people properly, we train them properly, and and we find the right spot for the for the each person because there's place for almost anybody to be in surveying if they really want to be it wherever they want to be. I've known people who wanted to be technicians all their lives, and that's great because when people are technicians all all their lives, they become really, really good technicians. Right. So, uh, you know, we focus so much on the licensure side, and it's important, 
but as you just pointed out, there's so many jobs in surveying that are available that, that maybe we're not promoting as much as we should. Right. And uh, speaking of promotion, uh, do I have a few minutes to talk about one more thing? Yes, we got three minutes. Okay. Uh, the only thing I would like to add is um, that we have been running here in the state of Texas for the last 13 years, uh, study sessions free of charge. Um, they initially started independently through a few of us here in, in, in Dallas and uh, have evolved over time uh, where uh, we run uh, two study sessions here in Dallas uh, twice a year um, free of charge. Um, they're also offered through WebEx for those who cannot travel to Dallas and they're also highly supported by the Texas Society of Professional Surveyors. Uh, over the last five, six years since those have started, uh, there's other individuals uh, like Jake Lufer over in um, uh, Houston who's actually doing exactly the same thing um, and uh, free of charge and prepares uh, in individuals who are trying to take the Texas RPLS exam or take the SIT exam um, um, to be successful at that. So it's been a, it's been a great uh, bonding uh, experience for all of us, but also learning experience since uh, the type of questions you get out of those uh, study sessions, which are very laid back. Uh, still try to keep them in an organized fashion, though, has uh, been, uh, it's been a very, uh, very rewarding for all of us. So is that something that uh, people who are currently survey technicians would take part in, or students, or both? Absolutely. Uh, typically on the SIT, we usually see a much broader range of experience of people, right, because that's what the SIT is. Uh, on the RPLS side, uh, it's usually people who have already passed their SIT and they're probably at least one or two years away or even a few months away from taking taking their exam. Um, of course, Texas is not a public land state, so the PS exam is not required here. It's not needed, but, um, but we're actually thinking about putting a PS course for the six-hour uh, NCS uh, prep, prep test as well. So, um, again, those are free of charge. They usually last for about four hours. Uh, it's usually on a Saturday because uh, we understand that everybody has to work. And um, uh, anybody's welcomed uh, to get information and uh, see what they need to do in order to get registered or what they need to be prepared for. That's a, that's a great model, um, and we're 40 seconds out, so I want to make sure I thank you for being with me today. But, but that's a great model. Maybe we can chat further about that and see if there's a way to promote that concept further you know, across, the, across other states uh, and see what other people are doing, because that, that is a, a really good way to, uh, to do outreach, I think. So, but, again, thank you for being with me today. It's been great having you on the, on the phone or on the call. And uh, looking forward to seeing you again sometime soon, and I'm going to be talking to some of your cohorts here in the next few weeks. So that, that'll be fun. Kurt, uh, thanks for having me over. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much, and uh, we'll chat again somewhere down the line, I'm sure. Take care. Thank you, sir. Bye-bye. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.